0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, as always, Shane Told. So great to have you um, on episode 27 of the podcast. I can't believe we've already done 27 of these things, um, but it's rad. I'm having so much fun doing it. Thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time tuning in, this podcast is all about me talking to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. And today we have a great frontman, and one of my best friends in music, absolutely, Anthony Renneri of Bayside. Now, I don't want to get too much into the story of how me and Anthony met because we talk about it in the podcast, but I've known him a very, very long time. In fact, he's one of the first other front men on tour I ever met, uh, so it's cool. He's not only one of my oldest friends, but also one of my best friends, so it was so great to talk to him. Uh, he's been through some shit lately. I've been through some shit lately, so it was really, really nice just to talk to an old friend and chat and just really open up about everything from you know his upbringing to songwriting to their new album vacancy which is coming out very soon and he talks all about that and really interesting stuff in this podcast and i know you're gonna enjoy it so stick around it's a long one but stick around till the end because the the best stuff comes probably around the hour hour 10 mark so so stay in for the long haul okay guys and as always, I love hearing from you guys. Please feel free to get in touch. Uh, my favorite way is probably hitting us up on Twitter. Uh, it's just at LeadSingerSyn, S Y N. Uh, we've got Instagram at Syndrome. There's a Facebook page set up. I'm sure you can search and find relatively easily. And of course, if you're old school like me, uh, just send an old fashioned email, Syndrome at gmail.com. And I love to hear suggestions for the show, of guests, um, any feedback. Somebody complained last week, the, uh, Audio is too quiet i'm sorry if that was the case uh, I didn't it's funny because I didn't actually use proper mastering software for the first time so hey, there you go right uh, Someone calls me out on it so that's what it's for. Uh, I really don't want this just to be me talking to you guys. I really love it to be a back and forth, just like we have uh, every week with our guests. So thanks again for tuning in. Uh, This is a long one, so I'm going to cut this short. But the only thing I want to say right now is if you love the show, please check out the Amazon affiliate link. All you got to do is go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That takes you right to the Amazon homepage. You log in as normal Put your details, you'll be signed in, and whatever you buy, we get 4%. And Amazon sells everything. So please, if you ever shop on Amazon or online at all, uh, if you can use that link, it's just leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. It would really help us out. Anyways, let's keep this intro short, and let's hit it right now. Here's my dude, Anthony Ranieri of Bayside.
0: What's up, Bud? How are you, dude? Good, man. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. I'm glad that we glad that we finally uh, we're finally doing
1: this. Finally connected. Yeah, I know. Like, uh, I think this is like I'm like 26 episodes in or something. And I nice. figured when I started this, you'd be like one of the first people. Yeah, um, right. But no, yeah, man. This this um this shit's been going well for me, man. Like, um, not only has it you know been successful, but I like I fucking have a blast doing it. That's great. Yeah, man. Some of the talk conversations you have with people are just like, are crazy. So, yeah, man.
0: Yeah. I so mean, let's you're jump talking in. to your friends, talking to your friends is, it's a way, it makes for a much better interview, much more interesting than it, like, just yeah. A question answer thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, it's interesting, too. Like, I mean, usually I'll go through, like, I'll look at a band's, like, at least, like, I'll look at, like, a Wikipedia or I'll, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I do, like, research, right? Like, I guess you're supposed to do. I'm no fucking journalist, but I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but today, I'm like, really, am I going to go Google my friend Anthony? Like, do yeah. I really have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have any. I don't have any notes, but um, I figure we got we got lots to talk about.
0: Yeah, for sure, and it's good timing too because we just announced. Uh, yeah, announced I know the new record and the tour and all that. So vacancy. Yeah,
1: and when does it come out? So the people. Uh, no? Uh,
0: oh shit, I guess I should know that. I think it's August nineteenth, but I guess August I'll double 19th. Check that. August
1: nineteenth. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so uh it's crazy how how far in advance you announce records now. I know. Like
0: four months. That's so nuts. You know what's crazy too? Like the the record's coming out like kind of end of summer, just before the fall, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, if I'm seem distracted, I'm just double checking the release date. I'm Googling. I, I, now, now I'm actually Googling. Myself. You're Googling yourself. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. It's August 19th. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, so, you know, it's funny how, how these things work. And I know that you can definitely relate is, uh, like we, the record's coming out late summer before the fall. Really, I mean, there's a lot of bands that we're all friends with. Yellow Cards in the studio right now. TBS is in the studio right now. Yeah. Um, Every time I die is in the studio right now. Like all those. Like if you're in the studio now, it's more for like a fall release. Yeah. And we, you know, we obviously want to tour around the around the record and the fall as you know is just like such a busy touring season so we for the last like five years have not done a fall tour we stay off the road in the fall just just stay away from all the traffic we do i think it's smart yeah yeah we do spring tours pretty much every year and, we um, take it
1: with Silverstein. We take it a step further, and we do like Dead of the Winter. Like we're, we'll go out like the second week of January because no one's touring then. right?
0: Yeah, that makes you know? sense. Well, and but, you, you guys are you guys are conditioned from that for that. That's right. Know, we, damn right.
1: <laughs> damn right. We are. But no. Um. So well, yeah. What's gonna happen then if the record comes out in August? You have this tour with um headlining tour with Menzingers. I saw too. Is yeah. that around is that around the record release?
0: Yeah, it starts like a week before the the, rele- the record comes out. The record will come out I think in the second week um, of, the, uh, of the tour and um, so it's funny, so we wanted to avoid that fall touring season so yeah. this is actually considered like rushing the record out you know and we're like announcing it <laughs> i mean we literally we, it just got mastered with today's friday it just got mastered on wednesday it was like when we announced it and everything like it wasn't we didn't even have the final mixes in
1: yet yeah well it takes so long to press vinyl too that's a big thing now
0: yeah and because that's, a, the that's vinyl what it all boom. comes down to
1: yeah is it it's on
0: hopeless again
1: yep yeah 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 great people at hopeless i know them
0: all very well yeah so, so no, yeah, i mean and that's what it, we would we would have we would have put the release out like in, in two months, you know what I mean? If it was up to us, we would have put the release right. out in two months and done like an earlier summer tour. But, um, the reason we even have to wait the four months is like you said, it's it's a, It's vinyl, you know, and vinyl is just too important nowadays to kind yeah. of ignore. You got really got to revolve the release around it. Sure. Well, the other thing too, I mean,
1: bands typically like, you know, in our world, uh, don't really do summer tours unless it's like warp tour or one mm-hmm. of those kinds of things, so you guys are being smart putting the record out not in the fall and not in the like middle of the summer because uh you know warp tours like I think pretty much done at that point, right like warp tour's done by like yeah, the second week of august or something yeah,
0: I think warp tour S- ends the week before our tour, yeah, yeah, so there you go, so that's uh that's that's really uh smart thinking good work anthony yeah, we're trying to like fit fit it into that little pocket, you know. There's yeah. like a little, and then right when everybody goes back to school is kind of a hard time to tour because people are busy and broke and all that. So, yep. it kind of, we're trying to fit it right into that pocket. But now that Bling One Eighty Two announced their stupid tour like right at the same time, <laughs> so there's there's like one show where we're in the same city at the same time, and we're like, okay, we gotta try. So I think we're trying to do Shit. something about that. I think we're trying yeah. to get the, we're trying to get their show canceled or something. Yeah get, yeah, get yeah, yeah. Tell them they gotta move. Yeah, I mean our show was up first, right?
1: Well, maybe you can like go check out the show or something. You know, I don't know. That would be yeah. cool too. I don't know if you're a Blink fan. Oh, yeah, I feel I've like never
0: really been a Blink fan.
1: No, no, not really. It was weird, man. Back in like high school, we're about the same age. It, it was like Blink wasn't really that. Like they weren't really that cool. You know. Yeah. And then yeah. I think all of a sudden, yeah. And then all of a sudden, all the younger the younger generations like t- like talks about Blink like they're you know. The second coming of, you know, it's like, like they're like legends. And I'm like, well, they're, I guess they got some cool tunes, but like, they weren't like
0: the best band, you know, when like Dude Ranch came out or whatever, you know? Yeah. Dude Ranch was cool. And and by, yeah, by the time, like you said, by the time that they, they really had their moment, like I think I I think I was too steeped in punk rock to listen yeah. to the to the punk rock band that was on TRL at the time. Exactly. You know? Like I yeah. think I was too punk for that at that at that point. <laughs> I think I missed – I think people our age kind of missed the boat on it. Maybe.
1: Maybe. Oh, I remember they played a tour. I'm sure it came to New York. It was like a a huge amphitheater tour, and Bad Religion opened for them. Oh yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And, and I was like I was like all pissed. You know, like <laughs> my little teenage punk rock self was like this is not right man yeah and now that, and
0: now and now we're, that's us in ways you know i don't know if you guys deal with the same thing i see that too when we take out bands i was like why are you opening for bayside bayside's like this and that like why are you opening for them
1: no i think it's, it's the other way around when you open for like a younger band then people are like no way man bayside's been around for 15 years they got right. all these records they're a way better band they're like legends dude and Yeah, and then you're like, what, the younger band's like bigger, and they have younger fans, and we want to be here. (laughs) Right. We've only done that once.
0: We've only done that once, and it was a total disaster, and we we kind of swore it off forever. We opened for, it was in Europe, and we opened for a day to remember in Europe, which at this point, I mean, those guys have been around for a long time. It's weird to call them the younger band, but... But at the time, they they were, yeah. Yeah, you know, and... Um. Yeah, and it, and it was a disaster. It was such a train wreck. We were getting booed every night. We were like, all right, We were like, "Yeah, this is like we we have to swear off." Like, th- there's a lot of lessons in the in this.
1: Oh yeah. Like, the, well, I mean, you
0: guys are not. I mean,
1: data remembers like heavy, a heavy fucking band. Like double kick,
0: off. dude. It scared us off so much that, the, that, dude, I shit you not. The minute we landed from uh, coming back from that tour, I had an email waiting for me that I had got on the flight home. That op- you know, I opened when we landed. Yes, from our agent there saying uh, that Dropkick Murphys uh, wanted us to come back with them, go to Europe with them, which would have been a rad tour. Sure, you know, in hindsight for us, like that's a much better fit. But we were like so scared off by it. I was like, you know what? We just got booed by like four thousand like sixteen year old kids for a few weeks. Like I don't know if I want to go back and get booed by like seven thousand like drunk adults. <laughs> You know, like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's I can, crazy, man. I can like, handle. I can handle like the younger kids, like not getting what we're doing. You know, yeah. or at least like the kids who are into that heavier, you know, younger kids who are into the heavier music, not getting what we're doing. I was like, I don't want to go like that. Like a, a, if a dropkick, a German dropkick crowd turns on you, like that's that's bad news. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's so crazy to me, man. Because I feel like. <laughs> Was this happening in Germany or more UK?
0: It was more UK. It was for sure. Yeah, more UK. I can see that
1: because yeah. in Germany, I feel like they're way less. They like they care way less about like the labels and stuff. You know, they're like, uh, "What well, yeah, is it okay, loud? Does it have yeah. guitars?" And right. they're like, "That I like." You know, they they aren't like really that worried about the the the. Oh well, that's a metal core band, and that's a death core band, or like whatever bullshit. I don't even know what that is. You know. Right. Uh, um. Stuff I feel that way, so I'm I'm surprised that you, that that happened to you guys. Were all the other
0: bands on the tour like super heavy? Uh, it was just us. It, it, Pierce the Veil vale was opening. It was Pierce the Veil vale and us and uh, and a day to remember. And Pierce the Veil vale had a pretty rough too. To be honest, crazy. Now if that tour happened, it would be everybody would be, would love it. You know what I mean? But they even had a pretty rough too. I think it was, it was data remembers moment over there. They were really yeah. starting to blow up. And I think it was a lot of people who were just so psyched. I don't think anybody really would have loved to have that spot. You know what I mean? I yeah, everybody was just so psyched to see data. Remember at that moment. Yeah,
1: it's So amazing. It's so amazing how that happens, how people like fight and, you know, and, and kick and scream to try to get a, get an opening slot and then, Oops. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: I know. And then, you know, you learned that over the years, though. More people, like a big support tour, more people doesn't mean better show.
1: That's true. That's very true.
0: It's weird. I mean, you, I know you did those Avril Lavigne shows and stuff like that. I don't know how that was for you, but yeah, like, I, you know, playing in front of a ton of people doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make ten thousand new fans every day.
1: No, and and well, we kind of fucked that up too. I'll tell the people that story because they won't understand it. With Avril Lavigne, yeah, Silverstein supported Avril Lavigne in Japan. Uh, this would have been like two thousand eight, uh, and this was like a huge tour, right, man? Like like it was. We played the Tokyo Dome.
0: Yeah, know? I remember. I remember. It was like, it was crazy.
1: and then and then that was that was one t- <clears throat> Tokyo show. Then we did two more, like twenty thousand arenas. So I don't even know. That's like seventy five thousand tickets in just in one city. Uh, so it was insane. But but it was cool because when we played, no no one knew what the hell was going on. Like <laughs> I think most people there probably had never even heard a band scream before. Yeah. You know, yeah, makes sense. And it was it, the wild thing to me was like at first we're like, okay, we're opening for Avril Lavigne. It's a good opportunity. We're gonna play like our you know the softer stuff, you know. And then it it was going over like fine. Like people were respectful, and you know in Japan they're like dead quiet between songs, and it's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but then all of a sudden one one day like four or five shows in. We're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just play like a ripping support set, like we would if we were opening for a day to remember. Right. Uh, and we did it, and it was it went over way better. Yeah, huh, and, that's like, interesting. At first, you know, in the show, I'd be like screaming, and they'd be kind of weirded out. And then at the end of the set, I would like let out <sighs> a scream, and they would all cheer. Nice. Yeah. It was so weird, dude. But um, <laughs> but no. But at the same time, you're right. Like we kind of fucked it up as we didn't like go we should have went back like six months later you know what i mean we should have Mm -hmm. done that we didn't go back for like four years or something and after you know when that you know long has passed i don't know i think we kind of missed the boat but
0: hey whatever yeah it's tough you know what i mean and i'm i we've thought we've thought about those things before you know like we've thought like we've turned down i mean at this point we haven't done a support tour in like five years we do it's kind of it's just kind of not really our bag anymore it's sort of more living like we're living on kind of an island these days, you know what i mean which kind, which works for us
1: Manhattan or no, you're in Nashville uh, at the moment <laughs> I, yeah at the moment I'm
0: in nashville
1: yeah no um no that's that's crazy you say that though. the like the Bayside island because you guys are kind of in a bit of your own world, you know where and I mean that in a good way. Like, you know, yeah. you guys oh, it, have a it's real. It is by design.
0: It is definitely by design. Oh, it is? Okay. Well, I mean, it was, I guess at first it took us a while to realize we did all these support tours over the years. I mean, we opened for Fallout Boy, we opened for MEST and Juliana Theory and, and Hawthorne Heights with you, you know, like yeah. we, we did all that stuff. And it never, we never came off of any of those tours being any bigger. And we just kind of noticed more and more like, the fans that we had, that were coming to our headline shows like they were really just bayside fans you couldn't really like put them in a category of like well they like bayside and and this band and this band or what? you know what i mean it's like they like yeah they like bayside and Alpine trio and those are the two shows they go to all year you know what <laughs> i mean like that's sure. that's who our fans are so we were just like well fuck it like why are we wasting our time with time with like trying to piggyback you know like let's just do our own thing you know yeah,
1: no, and I, I mean, you guys have done done very well, and it's it, that's interesting. You say that it took you a while to kind of figure that out because it was, you know, most bands they kind of have like, you know, their first record does well, then their second record kind of blows up, mm-hmm. and then like that's definitely what happened with Silverstein and what happened with like, you know a day to remember to bring them up for the fifth time. Yeah, but you know, with you guys, it seemed like your second record sort of got people talking and then when you put your third and fourth records out and you put them out kind of near like i remember them coming out feeling like really another Bayside record already right yeah and, and but when those records came out and they were really good i felt like that's when people took notice you know uh, after yeah. shutter you know Week, uh, um uh walking wounded and then shutter i felt like that was when you're like oh shit this band is You know,
0: like you really started developing that fan base. Well, I mean, it's funny because with being on Victory, you know, I mean, we, we, I think a lot of people didn't really realize what we were, you know, like our, I I talked to a lot of people who, our own agent picked us up when the third record came out and we, uh, and he told me the first time we met that like, he never even listened to us until that third record because he assumed he knew what it sounded like. Right. You know, and like, I was just with the no effects guys like two days ago. And, uh, even those guys said the same thing, say like same exact thing. Like it took a few records for the, or like they were in somebody's car and it was playing and they were like, what is this? Like, yeah. oh, this, this is what Bayside sounds like. Right. You know? So it was definitely, I mean, and so that was sort of like, you know, the slow, steady build that we've had, it, it was definitely a blessing, you know, cause it, it, sure. it, it definitely, it's helped us to have like the longevity and kind of become what we are but I think it was the fault of like trying to fit into a scene that we weren't fitting into
1: right yeah I agree I totally agree but at the same time you're still kind of a part of it I think you know they're like I, I mean maybe it's just a Silverstein Bayside like you know yeah uh, you know well, us touring we together back, so much because right. we go back and victory and everything but I still see like probably way more like more Bayside shirts at our shows than maybe other any other band Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I know we did the co-headline tour and we were both like, yeah, it was cool, you know, but uh, definitely we have so many of the same fans, you know, for
0: whatever reason. And You guys were like one of the first bands we ever befriended. Do you,
1: the, do you remember the first day we met, Anthony?
0: Yeah, in Columbus.
1: <laughs> Columbus, Ohio.
0: Yeah, we were I both was there. playing separate shows in Columbus. Well, well, no. That's, that's didn't we not meet right. like on the street? We met like we, walking down the street, right? I know the story so pretty you guys well. Look, you guys look like a band.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. We we rolled in uh, to this venue. It was called like Bernie's or something, mm-hmm. and we we like didn't really know anything about the show, right? And we knew we were playing with you guys. So we were like there and it was just the two bands and the promoter was being weird. And then we found out there was another show down the street and it was with like Branson and love drug. Yeah. Yeah. And these, right. So we're like, well, Hey, can we just combine these shows? You know, it'll be like a five band bill and like, it'll be like way better. (laughs) And I think Branson was the headliner and they didn't want to do it. Uh, so we're like, fuck. So what we ended up doing, if you can recall this, and this is 2003 for the people listening. Um, we actually ended up making like posters and walking around the Ohio state campus and handing out flyers for our show. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just, and the show ended up, yeah, we, we, we couldn't join, join the shows together. Uh, and we only had, fuck, we probably had 20, 25 people
0: at our show. Yeah, but not but we've a bad been friends show. ever since. Not a bad it, it, show for for, for those days. It was. It actually was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. we weren't yeah. even signed yet at that point. I think you no. guys had just signed a victory. I'm not even sure if your record was out yet. It had like just
1: um yeah maybe it hadn't come out yet. It, that was like one of our first tours, maybe our first U.S. tour ever.
0: Yeah, and, that's uh, a long time ago, man.
1: Yeah, it is a long time ago. It's crazy, man.
0: And then we did, and then after we signed a victory, and our record wasn't even out yet. We did the we did the the full U.S. tour together. and We were playing in like barns and shit.
1: Yeah, that's well. That was yeah. We that was the first time we'd ever went to the West Coast actually with you guys. And I remember mm-hmm. you guys were playing because you know when you're new bands. I remember we played a show specifically at like Omaha, at, like a bowling alley. Yeah. and. There was two bands, just us and you guys. You guys played five songs. We played seven,
0: and that was the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember – do you know what I remember about that Omaha show? Me and Bill, in a, in an effort to try and make the the show interesting for for ourselves, me and Bill were trying to compete with who could wear more layers of clothing on stage. <laughs> so we were just – so the two of us played with like – sweatshirts and jackets and scarves and hats on and shit just to fucking make each other laugh so funny the ranch bowl the ranch bowl and the ranch
1: bowl that's the name yeah yeah no that's crazy man and and um yeah that was that was like crazy back in those days you know you had uh jim playing drums and andrew Mm -hmm. do you keep in touch with those guys anymore
0: uh nope Nope. Well, Jim. <laughs> nope. Jim, we do. Jim, we do. I saw Jim. Yeah. Jim comes out to the shows. He lives in San Francisco now. He cool. comes out to the shows sometimes, and we hang. And he was at Jack's wedding. That was cool. We got to spend, you know, so we spent like a whole day and night together at Jack's wedding. Right. Uh, Andrew, I don't, I don't really talk to at all. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure where he is.
1: That's cool. No, I remember um, the dynamic was interesting back then too because Andrew was. I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I actually he told me that that he kind of was the lyricist in the early days, like he on the was. Sirens yeah. and Condolences record. Yeah, he
0: wrote the lyrics and, on that record. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I I thought that was interesting because you know this is obviously the Lead Singer Syndrome you know podcast, so we talk right. a lot about we talk a lot about that stuff, like writing um, lyrics and writing melodies and stuff like that. You know, and I always think it's strange when obviously you're the chief songwriter in the band, you write the music to have somebody come in and, and did you just take like his notebook and kind of
0: adapt the words? Yeah, or how did exactly. That work? Exactly. And exactly. And it was awesome at the time it was like, I mean, for one writing lyrics now is so fucking stressful. You know what I mean? I like labor oh, yeah. over them, but, um, at the time it was awesome. Cause I just write a song all instrumental and then I would, yeah, literally he would just give me his notebooks and I would go through them and I would come up with melodies. Like I, I already have kind of melodies in place, but I would just yep. be singing like la 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 over them. And, um, I would just replace the la la la's with his lyrics. You know, I would just kind of start singing his notebooks. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. It was, it was, it was definitely a fun way to do it. And then when he, uh, when he left the band, I was a little like I was a little bit like, "Oh fuck, like, can I write lyrics?" Because everybody liked his lyrics, you know. Yeah. That was like a oh part yeah. Of, on the first record, that was like a kind of a big part of the band. And I was like, "Fuck, can I write lyrics like that?" And then you know, okay, it worked out. I guess
1: it definitely worked out. No, I actually <laughs> remember that thinking that to myself. Um, you know, when, uh, the self-titled record came out, your second record thinking to myself, huh, I guess Anthony's going to write the words now. And is it going to be like way different, you know, right, cause, right, cause yeah. the first record it's fucking dark, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, I guess you, I guess in a way he, he inspired you with those notebooks to kind of figure out,
0: you know, how to write a base, you know, like it's yeah, kind of a weird thing good. now. He was a real, I right, mean, that's right. why before he was in the band, I was writing the lyrics and you know it's nothing. They're, they're nothing that I'm like super proud of. And when he joined the band and started showing me these notebooks, I was like, "Wow, well, what you're doing is way better than what I'm doing. So let's yeah. use, so let's use yours." But yeah, and then when and then when he left, like I guess you know I guess I could say now that I I, I did probably learn something from sure from his uh, from his writing. No, that's
1: yeah, that's uh, that's cool. No, I always wanted to ask you about that. Uh, And, you know, cause yeah, for me, like it's funny you say you labor, it's funny you say you labor over lyrics cause I'm the same way, man. Like I, like I'll sit in my house and I'll stare at my notepad for like an hour. And if I come up with like four lines of a verse in an hour, I'll be like, yeah, that's good. I'm done for the day. Oh,
0: totally. Yeah. If you write one verse in a day, like that's, that's a good day of work. Yeah.
1: I know. It's crazy. And I talked to some, that's me and some singers, they just like, i don't know how they do it they just shit it out
0: like it's like crazy oh i feel like songwriting in general man i like two brian fallon from gaslight and john foreman from switchfoot those two dudes like when i talk to them and they're working on a record they'll be like like yeah i wrote like 40 songs so we're just gonna get in the studio and see and kind of pick the best ones i'm like how do you write 40 songs you know like we're gonna I know. have. I like, I'm we, not. I can't do it. I mean, either we're gonna. We're like we put eleven songs on a record, and I write eleven songs. You know, like yeah. we don't. We don't have like a bunch of B sides or anything. I don't no, know. I, I know. I've never been like. I know. I'm, like, the, I know. I'm the way. same way,
1: man. Because part of it is like, okay, if you're gonna write forty songs, okay, and you're gonna pick ten, why are you wasting thirty, like thirty songs, like what you're just. Going through the motions on a song you know isn't really that great. I think so because you know I
0: don't. Have you ever had Conley on your show, Chris Conley? No, I would love to you talk should, to him. You should, you should, because he's like probably the the he's like a guru. You know what he likes. Right. He speaks in like one liners. You know, like a, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's like brilliant. Um, but that's one of his big things is like he always sees a song through. See if I, like I, the way I am, and I think the way you are, if you start working on a song and you're not you're not in love with it. You just ditch it. You know, if it's not good, you just ditch it. You start working on something else. Chris's whole thing is like, he, he wants to write a song every day and he wants to keep his writing chops up. And if he doesn't love something, he tries to not over scrutinize it. Like he just sees it through. Like he'll finish it by the end of the day. And maybe six months from now, he'll listen to it and be like, Oh wow. If I change that chord, then like it's a much better song.
1: Yeah. I feel like the, the problem with that though is like, at the core of songwriting, too, though, like, obviously it's our job and this is like what we do for money and, and stuff like that. Right. But you still I still have to feel inspired and I still have to feel like some kind of magic. You know, I feel like there's some kind of magic kind of has to happen. So if, if I was going to say, all right, I'm going to write a song a day for the next like two weeks, I'm going to write 14 songs. I don't think I'm going to wake up every day and be like, OK, this is like I feel like this is going to be good today you know what I right. mean? And then it, yeah. al- it
0: almost ends up being more like scientific than artistic. Yeah, I can, I can definitely understand that. I mean, like I, I, I've been asked to do like ever since coming to Nashville, I've never really been very interested in the co-writing scene. Oh yeah. But, in Nashville shit. You, you got to do it. Yeah. I've never really been that interested. And then ever since like getting the place here, people, you know, people just call, you know, you, you don't even like really try, you don't try yeah. to get involved. People just, they, they know you're around and they know you're a writer and People, especially like being in Bayside and stuff, there are people who kind of grew up on the band and stuff who now are like country singers or writers or whatever. And they, they like. Well, don't uh,
1: downplay, don't downplay your abilities as a songwriter. I mean, I know you know what you're doing. Yeah. But but continue,
0: continue. So, So they'll, so I've gone to a couple of them and it's just, it's the weirdest scene, man. You sit there for like six hours with two other people. And like you write a song in six hours and like you need to leave the session with a song because they have another session at night and they have another session in the morning where they have to write two more songs, you know? And I'm just like, man, I can't write like that. It takes me like three months to write a song. I can't write like in one sitting. I also can't write with other people in the room. (laughs) Maybe it's not for you, man. (laughs) It's definitely not for me. (laughs) I, I Like, you know, we figured out like Bayside's way of collaborating on songs. Like I work on songs on my own at home come up with like sort of a basic idea and chords and melodies and stuff like that. And I give it to the band and then they kind of, they help to shape it into like a Bayside song and that works for us. But like, I can't, like, we've tried to like write at practice or write in the studio, like all in the same room and I can't do it. Like I need to sort of like be engulfed in it, you know?
1: Yeah. I I totally know what you mean. (laughs) I totally know what you mean. Although I will say that once in a while, you can kind of have that moment where there's, like, five guys where you're, like, almost jamming, mm-hmm. and then there'll be something cool. And, like, we, I'd say, like, with Silverstein, we probably have, you know, if we have 12 songs on a record, probably, like, two of them will come out of it just from kind of fucking around. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like those songs are are, are different and, and like, in a, in a good way. Like, they're kind of the fun songs, and then they end up being the songs everyone likes the best because right. everyone kind of had a hand in them. So I, I think – that that stuff is uh can be can be kind of cool too.
0: We'll do that on parts and stuff like that. Like yeah, we'll, like but, but I kind of need the song to be there. And then if we go in and we say, oh, the verse feels dull or whatever, like we'll jam on the verse for a, for a yeah. few hours and and kind of see if anything sh- takes shape. You know,
2: but yeah, Like but I can't go are... in
0: with no chords. I can't go in and just be like, I don't know. Here's a thing. You know, I can't like I, I, I'm like I can't I can't do it that way.
1: It's summer. It's hot outside, I know a lot of us are enjoying the weather out in the backyard or on a patio, and personally, I love to grab a refreshing Miller High Life. Miller High Life is unpretentious, high quality, and is there to celebrate the wins of every day, big or small, whether it's a promotion at work, finishing off some tasks around the house, or even just finding all your socks in the dryer. It's within everyone's reach and was founded on that principle back in 1903 that everyone should enjoy the good life. It's still brewed the same way with refreshing champagne-like tiny bubbles either in an iconic glass bottle or for this summer in limited edition champagne cans. It brings pride to those simple summer moments that don't have to be big to call for celebration. Miller High Life, The Champagne of Beers, a quality beer within everyone's reach. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you're in tech, you've been there before, feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link L-S-S to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. Have you talked to, um, you said you were hanging out with Effects the other
0: day. Have you talked to Fat Mike about songwriting ever? Uh, very like briefly briefly. And I think, th- I think we only really realized the other day that they, uh, uh, and this is even more from talking to, to like the crew about it. Cause it, I like, it is, I mean, it's a little hard for me to get, fi- to get time with him because I'm, I, like you, you know me. You've known me for a long time. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't like. You it's know hard what I mean. tired with him because you don't I'm do not drugs. Party or I don't even stay up late. You know what I mean. Like you've known right. me for a long time. I'm yeah. like for. I'm like no. Not even a beer after the show. Like straight to bed.
2: Yeah. Rest my vocal <laughs> cords
0: for tomorrow, kind of person. And like, and that's not to say he just parties too much for me to hang out with. But those are his hours. You know what I mean. You want if yeah. you want to chill with if you want to chill with him, you're chilling with him like. After the show later on, you know, we, I was with like the crew guys all day and I think Mike was asleep. Like we met up at like around one for lunch and they had a, a book signing later in the day. And, uh, i like s- say it was like seven o'clock and Mike woke up at like six, you know what I mean? So like, right, I just right, didn't even right. see him before he had to go do his thing. Yeah, it's
1: I just bring it up because you know, back on Warp Tour, you know, I'm a poker player. I you know, um I'm not a drug guy either, but uh you know, I'm, I'm a big poker player and we used to play poker like every night on the Warp Tour back in was it 09 you guys did it when it was us, you guys and No Effects? I think it was yeah, 2009. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I used to talk to Fat Mike all the time and um and Talking to him about songwriting is like crazy. Like he He's really, the real
0: deal, man. He's oh the real man. deal.
1: Like the the some of the stuff he does is like insane with, mm-hmm. with chords and melody. And he was actually talking about you uh, one time at the poker table. Just like it was kind of like what you said earlier about being like, Oh, I don't know. I like thought you know, I thought this band was this certain way, and then I actually heard them and I realized that they weren't. And he was like b- kind of blown away with you know some of your chord progressions and melodies as well
0: yeah you know? I think so I, that's like why a, i asked
1: you if you'd ever talk to him specifically. it's funny there's
0: a big mutual respect there that i i don't know that like um that i realized until more recently until i hear people be like yeah mike was talking about like your song right i'm like really mike like fat mike from no effects was talking about like he knows like my chord progressions Right, you know what I mean. So it's a, it. I, I think uh, like we're we're kind of both just learning that that like we're sort of cut from the same cloth as far as songwriting goes. We're both yeah, big no, fans wild. of that like real weird, whimsical sort of you know chord progressions and like the the sort of vocal melodies that like, go on tangents. You know what? You know what? Uh, actually, I was talking about with No Effects the other day is so many of their songs don't have choruses. And you don't yeah. really realize that. And somebody was telling me a story that, like, Mike was talking to somebody about that. And they were like, yeah, what do you mean? Of course you have choruses. And he's like, yeah, name a song. What What's the chorus? You know, like, linoleum does not have a chorus. No. Crazy. I
1: know. It's That's the thing, though. You can learn so much from from that band and their songs. That's one. Of, that's why they're one of my favorite bands. I know they're one of your favorite bands, too. So, yeah, you know. It's crazy, man. But um, yeah, Mike's
0: the real deal. I don't think a lot of people really realize that either. Have you know? read the book? I'm in the, I'm like halfway through it right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm about
1: halfway through it too. It's
0: yeah, fucked. It is <laughs> fucking gnarly, man. It is yeah. so gnarly. I was out. I was out the other uh, the other night with uh, with Chad and Haley, and I, w- I was talking about the book, and I had only read like the first maybe 25 pages at that point, where it was only yeah. just talking about their childhood. I was like, it's so fucking gnarly and they haven't even like started no effects yet and it's so <laughs> yeah. fucking gnarly and like we all know like what what happens after that you know we all know like right. with the newer stories of their like of their debauchery or whatever oh yeah cuz a lot of
1: it was on tv yeah,
0: yeah. and so now yeah and now, and i was like i'm i I've only, i have not even gotten past like their them being teenagers and it's so fucking gnarly already I know, I know. It's crazy, it's but it's crazy great though. It. It's great because it's it. The book is great because it's not just like I don't, I don't I don't know if you agree, but it's not like shock value at all. It really is like pretty riveting, and it's a fucking great story.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. And like it's it's. There's something real about it too. You know, it's like it's. I don't know if I how I'm, if I'm describing this badly, but there's something real about it in that it they're like real people and they're real kids. It's yeah. not like the Motley Crue book where they're like just total douchebag rock stars that don't care right like they seem right. to care you know in, in a way like they want to get fucked up and get laid you know in the book like they say that but but in the motley crew it's like they're almost like <laughs> bad people kind of right you know what i mean where it's yeah. like no effects it doesn't seem like they're not bad people it's just a lot of crazy shit happened and i well, think it's that's also really
0: interesting it's interesting to find out how they became how they are you know, like this right. the, the road to it, and their what their childhoods were like, and what it was. I mean, I love all the stuff about growing up in like the LA punk scene in the '80s. That shit's super yeah. interesting to me.
1: Absolutely, man. Well, let's um, first time on the show, um, and I I don't know if I know much about this for you. So, will you talk about your upbringing in uh, New York?
0: Yeah, I grew up in in Queens, and uh, it was pretty normal. I grew up in like a like an apartment. Um, like pretty like a two bedroom apartment. Me and uh, me and my brother and my mom and dad and we were there. Uh, we were there like until I guess I lived there until I like moved out. Pretty much in, in this right. like uh, yeah in this like two bedroom apartment in Queens. It was in like a little neighborhood called Glen Oaks. Is kind of right at, like right by uh, right by Bayside and. um yeah, I mean, and it was it was kind of normal. I played little league, you know. I've always been really into baseball. I know me and you talk about baseball sure. a lot. I was really into baseball, and um, and then I started playing guitar when I was like nine, and uh, started like playing in punk bands. There there was a library close by that like used to do punk shows, like every other month or so. In a the, library in That's the basement, bad. yeah, like in the I basement of the library. Yep. So, uh, my my first band was called The Flame and Moe's. From uh, from The Simpsons because every, like, every band every like band name has to be a Simpsons reference and um, and uh, yeah we played we played our first show at the at the Great Neck Library and um, were you singing at this point or just playing guitar I never sang until bay- we started Bayside we we, we started Bayside via an, a Long Island like scene message board that um somebody was trying to put together an operation ivy tribute and i was playing in like (laughs) a band at the time and you know the guys i was playing with didn't wasn't you know they weren't really trying to do it seriously and i met these three other guys on the message board who were also in bands with guys who weren't trying to take it seriously so we were like well let's just start our own band and like we'll go on tour and at everything you know cool so yeah so we all met up and we just kind of we all met up at like uh was the, the night we met up for our first practice was like the first time we all met each other. We had just like talked on like this message board.
1: Sure, yeah. It's funny how that, you know, that's I guess that's now how it works too. It's just like Facebook or something. But yeah, it's funny so how so long ago it was still kind of the same thing, still using the internet in its primitive yeah, very primitive yeah, it time.
0: It was definitely an AO like a via AOL for sure. Yeah. And yeah. we all so we all met up and everybody kinda of played the songs that they had. And like with songs that they had written, and like sang them, and everybody's like, "Well, like you can hit the highest notes, so you're the singer." You know, I guess crazy, you should sing. Yeah. I was yeah. like, "All right, I guess I'll be the singer." And I'd, I'd like never sang in a band before. Uh, before the first bass I'd practice.
1: So funny, yeah, it's so crazy. So did you see, you a guitar. Did you sing before before Silverstein? Were you always a singer, dude? The same story, man. It's and I love these podcasts. I talk to people. It's the same story. I got a guitar. I was probably about ten. My dad my dad played guitar, so there were like there's always like acoustic guitars laying around the house. So yeah. you know, my dad would play and sing and stuff. And um I heard Metallica. Pretty much sorry, the story I heard Metallica and I wanted to do that. I didn't even know if it was guitar or drums, I just knew it was heavy. And my sister's like, I think it's guitar. I'm like, Alright, I'll get a guitar. And um <laughs> and you know, like the chugging, you know what I mean? I didn't know what that was. Right. If it was like double kick or if it was uh, guitar. And I uh, got a guitar and literally like just took guitar lessons and got pretty good. And then again, yeah, I joined up with a bunch of friends. And literally I was the only person that could carry a tune. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just by default was a singer and I yeah. never wanted to be. And then, you know, I always was a guitar player first. And now I don't even play guitar in Silverstein. So it's kind of weird, but...
0: Yeah, that's that's my story. I listened to your uh, to your episode with a- that Adam Lazaro was on. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah he's it, a bass player, right? Yeah, it was like how it how the same story. They were like, "You're gonna Ed, that Eddie just like like pointed at him. It was like you're gonna be the singer."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I <left> laughed like my ass singer, off when he said yeah, that. Yeah, the singer quit, and Eddie's just like, "You're gonna be the singer." He's like, right, <laughs> I guess I could figure out how to do it.
1: Yeah, I know, man. It's 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 really funny though. How how. You know, we're from all different walks of life, you know what I mean, and, and different places, and it all just seems like a, the same kind of story, you know. And it's, I always find that interesting. But
0: so you got a guitar when you were nine. How did that come about? What um, kind of drew you to that? It's so, it's actually a hilarious story. I had just gotten Nevermind, Nevermind had just come out. Awesome. And, um, what a record. Oh, yeah. Still I still listen to it like, I, I still listen like every it. month. Oh, God, I loved it. And, like, and there was a, there was a girl that I, that I told, I was nine. So what are you in like the sixth, like the fourth grade or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And there was a girl that I told that I knew how to, I knew how to play, um, smells like teen spirit. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, and you know, all the kids thought that that was so cool, which like clearly I didn't, I didn't even know how to play the guitar. But I, I told everybody that, and everybody thought I was really cool because of it. So I've like, begged my parents to get me a guitar and get me lessons. They're like, all right, I have to learn it now. Like, I have to learn it, or else everybody's going to find out. <laughs> everybody, everybody's going to figure out that I was lying. So, um, yeah, so I got a guitar, and then, I, you know, the, the rest, is, the rest is, uh, is history, as they say. Just so kinda how long, never How back. long
1: till you actually learned smells like Teen Spirit so you can show lesson. your friends? First first lesson
0: I was learning like what a, how to hold a pick and, and stuff like that, you know. But definitely yep. the first song we learned after I learned how to play a power chord, the first, first song was I was like, I have to learn smells like Teen Spirit.
1: I feel like the first riff everyone learned—that's our age—is the "Come as You Are" riff.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah, one. That, yeah, yeah, that
1: one—that's like everyone's first riff. Yeah, back back uh if you're if you're you know between the ages of thirty and
0: thirty six probably. That's the, and then Green Day, and then Dookie came out mm-hmm. shortly after that, and right. Smash, and then exactly was, and those then records, was, man. And then it was punk and and uh punk and Drublic around that time, and, yep. so, and then it was just punk. It was punk from then on.
1: Punk, punk, punk.
0: Yeah, I and like. I was always more into so like throughout high school i was I was more into like uh well, obviously I loved all the fat stuff and the Epitaph stuff like i like I know you did also sure yeah um and uh but and I was always in, into more like the street punk stuff and the oi stuff, like always been a big toy dolls fan and angelic upstarts and oxymoron and stuff that was always my scene, cool. but in New York, like the hardcore thing was starting to really like brew, you know, so like me and my friends were kind of like nerds for like in punk rock instead of like when we we'd go to St Mark's. Which is where all like the punks and the hardcore kids hung out when I was in high school, and um, that's where there was like all the clubs were over there, like in the Bowery, like St. Mar- like there was Coney Island High yeah, and Seabees yeah. and all that. So we were going, we were going to those places in high school, and it, and that's when kind of Madball was happening, and stuff right, like that. sure, of course. And so we were like kind of nerds for having spiky hair and and shit like that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it was like that here too. I mean, even Toronto it was like that. There was definitely a big division between. Like punk rock and, and like the straight edge vegan hardcore scene, you know?
2: Yeah. And for yeah. me,
1: I was like, I guess I was kind of a part of both of them, but, you know, not like, like a part of both of them, but also part, like kind of not a part of either one of them at the same time, you know what I mean? And I just love music. Like, I never was that caught up in, in the, uh, like, I don't know, I don't even know if I had spiky hair, you know, like, I just kind of didn't care about the, the fashion of it as much. And in some ways, I still, still probably care even less than i did back then you know mm-hmm. but i like i love the music and i'd listen to you and know, i'd go to hardcore shows and punk shows or whatever you know i guess the only thing i cared about other than the music was the message you know obviously like i right i right. know you, you used to be vegetarian you know back in the day too and mm-hmm. you know so that stuff was important to me but in terms of the fashion or like the being cool
0: part to me that was always like the worst thing You know, yeah, for sure. Well, I and mean, it's funny because I like being a punk kid. I, I really liked like Seven Seconds and Youth Today yeah. and Minor Threat, but that was like that was punk to me. You know what I mean? Like right. that sounded like the fast punk bands that I like What sure. like I didn't really make that correlation that that was early hardcore. You know? And yeah, well, um, like I've even... spoken to Baker, uh, like uh, Brian Baker, like a whole bunch of times. Who was in Minor Threat? Like of at the at the outset of of the straight edge movement. And um, uh, we've we've spoke a lot about like where straight edge has gone compared to where where it was. You know, he was telling me you like know, he said there, there was like, a straight, straight edge guy. scenes. Yeah, well, there, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was saying back then there were straight edge scenes where kids did like smoke and drink. It wasn't like as hard line as it is now. It was more oh, yeah? Crazy. It was more like <clears throat> it was more like a mentality. You know what I mean? It was more like don't be a shithead. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Kind of where it's become more like not a drop of anything. Not don't You know, you don't touch anything. And you know, There's People definitely take something the to be words. said about that. It's 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 pretty... It's still... I think at its heart, it's still a pretty great movement, you know? But it definitely, you know, it's gotten a little weird, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, with some of the, like, straight-edge gangs and stuff, I guess, and, like, some of the violence, Uh, that's, you know, that's some of that stuff's pretty fucking fucked up and crazy. But, no, I, I agree with you, man. Like, there's nothing wrong with not getting fucked up. Like, <laughs> that's not be stupid here, right? but, but I think you're, I think that's funny that you say that because that always happens. Somebody puts it out and now like the, the lyrics for, for like straight edge or out of step, you know, like those old minor threat songs, like people like treat them like they're scripture. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I know there's a one line in, um, I think it's out of step the song when it's like, don't like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't fuck. At least I can fucking think. Yeah. So then there was like the whole oh well if you're straight edge you can't have sex. Do you remember that? That was like yeah. a thing too.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: I was like okay just because Ian McKay or Mackay I don't know how you say it um, just because he put that in that song that line like he he could he could have sat there like we do in our apartments pondering the lyrics and been like huh. I'm going to change that word and then strategy would be completely
0: different. Right. <laughs> you <know laughs> yeah. <what I> mean? <laughs> yeah. It's <But> interesting. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was, I mean, that was pretty much high school to me. We would just take the train from Queens into Manhattan and, and, and like hang out on St. Mark's, go to shows yeah. at Coney Island High and CB's. And, um, and, that you know, and that's, that was my goal at the, at the time with my bands. It was just like, like, man, it'd be so cool to like, to like get real gigs in Manhattan, you know, play it like, play at Coney Allen High or play at Seabees or something like that, you know? It's funny. Yeah. I, I've said – it's it's really funny, I, I, and I feel like you're probably in a similar boat where, you know, I, I've i been going through sort of a a, a a really great realization in my life where I'm just super satisfied with, like, where I am and what I've done and, like, a lot of the, like – Wanting has like sort of like faded away, with cool. you know that's because really I'm just cool. so yeah, I'm just so satisfied with like my daughter and you know my my bills are paid and they're all paid through playing music and I get to play music every day and I get to make a record every other year and I get to go on tour and play shows and that's my life and and the success has gotten to a point where where I can where I'm satisfied, you know what I mean? If we right. get bigger, then cool. If not, cool. Whatever, you know what I mean. I'm satisfied in that sort of process. I've realized like, man, like I kind of feel like our band is bigger than like almost any band I grew up listening to.
1: Yeah. That's that's a weird, that's a very weird realization to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember thinking, I forget who it was that I met, but it was somebody in an old band I used to listen to and I kind of was talking to them and I noticed they were sort of sucking up to me. (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean and I was like this is weird I was like this band is like way bigger than my band and then I actually you know when you actually think about you know the venues you saw the band play in and then you know you see how many records they really sold and you're like I guess it wasn't that big (laughs) but you know but your but your perception of it is is like way different you know um uh you know now so uh or or back then it's crazy man it's crazy thing
0: yeah, I mean CB's only held like four or five hundred people, you know, and yeah. that would have been. Uh, I saw Bad Religion on the on the on the uh, gray area tour there, and I just remember thinking like, God, this is this is crazy. This is the biggest show I've ever like at that time. It was like the biggest right. show I'd ever been to.
1: Yeah, well, Bad Religion did some big stuff too. I mean, maybe they were just oh, really yeah. big in Canada started, because yeah. that, that kind of music is just huge here. But um, no, I know I know what you mean, man. And it's it's uh, it's wild, but that's that's like really. A really cool thing to hear from you, from you to say that, that you're just satisfied and you're just content. And it's because, and, and, part of it, you know, is like, you know, back when we were on victory, which I want to talk about a little bit in a second, but you know, when we were in that, those days, it was like, all you were ever thinking about is how can we get bigger? Yeah. Like yeah. every step of the way, it's like, what can we do to get bigger? What can we, you know, yeah, definitely. and, and when, finally, when you realize like, you know, yeah, you, I don't know how you 33, 34 now,
0: 30, uh, yeah, 33.
1: 33 yeah um did you forget i do
0: you know what like (laughs) a couple of months ago i told somebody i was 32 and i was and i was totally serious i like actually forgot
1: (laughs) yeah it happens (laughs) it happened to me at a at like a casino one time i was walking in and they asked me how old i was and i said the wrong age i showed it i was like i'm I'm not lying i just i don't remember (laughs) no i think it was my girlfriend at the time was like no you're not i was like oh yeah shit i'm 30 (laughs) i'm actually yeah it's so (laughs) weird (laughs) But but no, you, but what I'm saying is like you get to this age and, and you know, if you can be happy uh, uh, where you're at, you know, and you're not trying to live this fucking pipe dream where you're like, maybe our song is going to get to radio and it's going to go to number right. one. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. once you kind of leave that all behind and you just you're just happy with with who you are, what you are and what you're doing, then I think that that's the key. You know, I think that's the
0: key to to you know, being happy, which I guess is everything. Right. Yeah. Dude, there was a real sort of turning point in that for me when we were doing, when we were, when we had the killing time record out, we were on wind up. Um, the sick, six sick, sick, sick was like at radio and yeah, it was doing pretty well. It went to like number 20 on, on, on the chart. And it was like, Whoa, this is like, we're going to be like green day. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Oh, we're going to be like green day. We're going to be a big radio punk band. And, uh, we were fucking busting ass and we were doing all these things and these like that just sucked. And like they started to like wear on radio us more shows and more. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shit like that. And stupid interviews where they're asking you the stupidest questions and you have to do every single piece of press that comes through. Like nowadays I almost, I do like almost no press, but it's <laughs> like you had to do every single piece of press that came through and yeah, all the stupid, like playing to radio station stuff. And then we played a show in like upstate New York I can't remember. It was like Syracuse or Rochester. I don't remember which one because we had done a couple with them. It was us and Bush and Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. And (laughs) and um, there was like it was in a field, and there was like ten thousand people. There was fucking huge. And um, Long Island Fest was happening like the same weekend, like at a BFW Hall. In uh, and I'm the Avalanche was like headlining it. Yeah. And. We did this show and there was a fucking Confederate flag merchandise booth like at this thing. What? They were selling like lighters and wallets and hats and flags and shit like that. It was so <laughs> shitty. And I just remember thinking like we got off stage. And I remember thinking like I would fucking I wish I was playing Long Island Fest. Like I wish we were I wish we were playing with I'm the Avalanche out of VFW Hall in Long Island right now. Right. And that was like it. I called our manager. I was like, yo, tell the label no tell the label we're out you know like we don't do this wow. shit anymore and we just wow. started saying no to everything every like station visit which you have to do when you're doing a radio campaign like the days just sucked it was like getting up early in the morning to do some shitty like wacky morning radio show oh that's those you the know worst. like the oh, man cow so show and these like zany morning personalities yeah with dog so, and the bear yeah so stupid and we were like doing those every morning and then we'd go do, like, an in-store or something like that in the afternoon, and then we'd go do another station visit, like, for an afternoon interview, and um, and then we'd play the gig, and by the time we played the gig, it was like, fuck, like, I'm, ex- I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah. I gotta get up at 7 for the fucking, yeah, for some stupid show.
1: Yeah, so, man, that's...
2: So
0: it, okay. just, it sucked. So we were just so that and that was like a real turning point. I was like, I, I I wish I was playing with I on the Avalanche at a BFW Hall on Long Island instead of playing to ten thousand people, ten thousand Stone Temple Pilot fans. It's like, really funny you say that, man. And, and um,
1: uh, you know what? I wonder if now that you guys have done that and you've, like, you've left it behind, if now that's, like, when the success is going to come. Like, when you put out <laughs> a Vacancy, yeah. and now it's, like, <laughs> all, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's like brand new, you know? Um, and I love brand new, don't get me wrong. Love the band, one of my favorite bands. They managed to do everything wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. from a career perspective.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's, like, they, but they can't do anything wrong. Like, they're always, they're, they're bigger than they've ever been. People love them, but
0: they, like, they don't care. You no, know, they and don't it's... do any press. They do shows where they play the same song twice. They like, they, they, they play venues that are too, they do album, al- full album tours where they only play three shows and they're in venues that nobody can, that are too small. Yeah. To, they do, yeah, they do everything wrong. And, and, but it's fucking great because the cream rises to the top. They're a fucking amazing <laughs> band. I guess that's you all that matters I mean? in the end. It doesn't right? matter. And like, yep. here's me, here's me and you spending years like, scrutinizing every fucking decision, every like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Scrutinizing yeah, I every like, who should we take on tour? Who should we open for? Where should we play? What should our promo photos look like? And like those guys just don't give a shit, but their music speaks for itself. And that's like the most valuable lesson that any fucking Absolutely. musician can learn. Absolutely. Um, well, tell me about this
1: new record vacancy. It's out August 19th. Um, what was the approach going into it and and how did it turn out?
0: Uh, I'm in love with it. It was the most difficult record to make by far. Like with the whole time we, we were laughing about, um, I hope we got enough time on this interview. Cause this like vacancy story is pretty, dude, I got, crazy. I got as long as
1: you want. We could dude, we could go for another hour if you want. I don't care.
0: So we, um, and this is, you know, it was cool. This is the first interview I've done on this. Uh, on oh, nice. Cycle. Awesome. So this is like, awesome. I'm going to tell this story a hundred times, but you're going to get the fresh version. Of okay. It. Perfect. Yeah. So, we uh so i wrote the record about i moved to i moved to nashville about two and a half years ago uh with my wife at the time and we had just had our baby and uh the plan was to kind of come down we were going to buy a house maybe two as like investments because the market was is kind of really really doing well here and we were able to get in cheap at the time and um she uh, she was going to open a, ta- like a tattoo shop And we were going to have that And with the whole plan being Let's go down there for like a year or two And we'll kind of plant those seeds We'll have the shop We'll have some houses And then we'll move back to New York You know what I mean? And we'll yeah, just sure. rent out the houses It was kind of like That was kind of the plan, you know? And um, so we came down And after a year of being here um, We split up And And uh, So it was kind of it was it was fucked because like I kind of I then had to stay because her her family was here and she was gonna stay she had the shop and and all that so she was like well there's nothing for me in New York so I want to stay and I was like well if our daughter stays here that means I have to stay here. You know, and that was – so it 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 was fucked. I was fucked. I was, like, truly, truly, truly fucked. It was so painful because I was like – Damn, dude. Dude, do I just live here now? Like, do I just live in Tennessee, like, alone too. Like, I'm not married anymore. I don't really have a lot of friends here. I don't have any family here. I was like – so I just fucking live here indefinitely, like, until my daughter's old enough that I can could, I could move back home. So wow. it was a crazy – I mean, it still is. It's still going on. It's like pretty crazy, super isolated time where I was like, I, like, and I, I just didn't know what was going to come next. You know, it was like for the first time in a long time, like I did not know. Uh, I kind of have prided myself for a long time on having my shit together. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, and it sure. was a, it was a moment where it was like, oh my God, I don't even know where I live. I don't even know what fucking state I live in. You know what I mean? Like, am I going to move back? and like be away from my daughter or am I going to stay here alone and just martyr myself? You know what I mean? And, and just be fucking lonely, but like do it for her. So it was, it was a fucked, real fucked up moment. And that's, so I moved out of the house that her and I lived in and I moved into like an apartment for a little while just to sort things out, you know? I kind yeah. of sign like a short lease at an apartment just to wow figure out if oh, am I going to buy a new house here? Am I going to move back? Am I going to stay in this apartment? I, you know, so it was in Franklin, Tennessee, and I was calling at the Franklin Hotel because people would like come over and I didn't unpack and I didn't hang anything because it was just like right. I don't even know this is like a stopover. I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to stay here. I might live here forever. I might I might leave next week.
1: This is dark times, man.
0: <clears throat> it was dark. It was real dark. Yeah. So. I was calling at the Franklin Hotel and that's where I wrote wrote the record. I wrote vacancy like in this apartment and I had like a couch and a TV and my bed and my desk and my computer and my guitar and everything else was just all my boxes of stuff, you know, just waiting to kind of figure out where they were going to go. Right. <clears throat> and I wrote well, the record. I see where in the there. title
1: I see where the title of the record comes from.
0: Exactly. Yeah, cuz yeah, we but, were calling it like the you know it was sort of a joke at the time that it was it was just like the hotel, you know, and And, um, so that's where the hotel on the cover comes from, the whole hotel, the whole hotel theme of it. But then, you know, the vacancy thing is sort of like, uh, like, um, double meaning, you know, cause it was like, it was like the physical, yeah, it was the physical and the emotional sort of thing I was going through. So, um, and that's what I wrote the record about It is the most, it's definitely the most cohesive record lyrically that I've ever written for sure. Where there's a theme for sure, you know, there's like the whole record really is about what I was feeling and it's not a typical, and I I really made sure I did not want to write like a typical breakup record. You know, it's not about my, it's not about what happened. It's not about the breakup. It's about the aftermath. Really. It's about like figuring out, figuring out my life afterwards, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it's it's the most lyrically honest record that I've ever written. To the point where when I play it for people now, I'm like, you know, now that we now it's, it's a, done, uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable when I play it for people because I'm like, oh shit. Well, now they know that about me. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's weird. It's, yeah, it's really uncomfortable to listen to it with like in the presence of of friends.
2: Wow, Cause, man. You
0: know, because people are kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't even know. I didn't know that you were. I didn't know it was like that. You know
1: wow no i wow i can't wait to hear this record this is uh this is crazy you know i, I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet but i actually just went through a breakup myself um oh, for four and a half four and a half years yeah it's like the same kind of deal where i'm you know off my own and it's the same thing like you know i'm at a point in my life where i'm like fuck like i'm 35 and you know what i mean it's like what am i doing <laughs> now what you know what i mean and yeah. you have you have your daughter and stuff i don't have any kids or anything so you know, so for me, for me, it's like I'm going through that same kind of thing where I'm trying to figure out, yeah, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. So you know, it's uh, that's that's crazy, man. And it's yeah, it's funny we're talking about this now. Um, yeah, but
0: it's heavy, man. it's heavy. It's just interesting I go days because without leaving the house, because I don't have anything to do, I don't have anyone to go see, I don't have anyone to go hang out with, I don't have anything to do. I got like literally, I go days without. Like, <clears throat> I have my daughter. Um, you know, I'm I'm real lucky, and you know, and my, my ex and I, I think, have been real good about a kind of co-parenting, and you know, yeah. the, everything, you know, went kind of as smoothly as it could have. From that standpoint, you know, I have fifty-fifty custody of my daughter, so I have her for for a whole week every other right. week. You know, right. so
1: it's just interesting because you said before how how content you felt. You know what I mean? And you, you know,
0: yeah, it's weird. I, 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 it's weird
1: so i guess that's a it's a positive thing though in the long run like you you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel because where i'm at right now and it's still very fresh like it's hard for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel
0: you know yeah um, i mean for it's you know life i think me and you have been doing this long enough though that we know that life and your career are two different things
1: yeah well they're i guess they're supposed to be but sometimes you wonder you know sometimes it's like your life is seems to be your career and your career seems to be your life,
0: yeah, you know? for a long time, I mean the band was just everything, you know, and it's still right. I still love it just as much as I ever did, but I learned how to like go home and not be in the band, you know, like go home and just be like a guy,
1: yeah, that's no man that's uh that's something I think I struggle with to be honest with you so. Yeah, but, uh, it is hard, but, man. It's yeah. hard,
0: especially being a singer, back to the lead singer syndrome. Yeah. It's really hard and a lot of people don't realize this, even the people that that are in the bands with the singers, I don't think realize you have to get on stage and be the man. You know what I mean? And then like you spend years or decades working on that, like working on going on stage and being the fucking man, being like the guy that all the other guys want to be like, you know? Like right. that's your job. You know, that's true. And, that's true. Yeah. I don't, and And then, I don't, and then you get ahead, yeah. off stage and you're supposed to just turn that off. Don't think you're the man anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get on stage yeah. and believe in yourself, you know, but be an ultra confident, like just fucking ooze confidence to the audience while you're on stage and then get off stage and turn the confidence off because it's off putting to your friends.
1: Right. You know right. what I mean? It's It's impossible. Yeah. You have to be humble. And
0: yeah, it's yeah, it's very fuck. That is like, that's the basis of the lead singer syndrome. That's That's right. That's where it comes from because you're, you have to do interviews and play shows and fucking ooze confidence and just be the man. And then if you get off stage and you still think you're the man, now you're a dick.
1: That's so fucking great. You nailed it. (laughs) You nailed it. It took us six months of this to finally figure out where this all stems from. What is lead
0: singer syndrome?
1: But we figured it out. That's, that's, that's what, that's the cause right there
0: yeah but you know a lot of people do it a lot of people do it like a lot of people can do it you know there's a lot of you know that i mean not clear well i mean i I remember even you i
1: mean i've known you since you know we were both baby bands and i mean i it took you a long time to kind of find that uh, like on stage persona you know i remember one time i remember one specific show i don't remember what like what it was i feel like it might have been a festival or something And all of a sudden you're there, like, you know, getting the crowd to clap and, and doing like a thing where like, there's a kick drum going and you're like doing vocals over it. And I was like, oh shit, Anthony like figured it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause you know, and I guess maybe part of it's cause we come from this punk
0: rock hardcore scene where that isn't as much a thing.
1: It just Uh, comes from
0: it. Like I said, it comes from being able to ooze confidence to be so hyper confident and like and you have, to, you have to own that. You have to really be fucking hyper-confident. And, like, I just wasn't for a long time, you know? Yeah. And
1: Yeah, no, neither was
0: I. <laughs> and it's funny. I remember a show. I remember we were playing in Corpus Christi or something like that. Okay. Or McCallan, and Doug from The Sleeping, I remember talking to him. And he was always such a good front man. And, like, they were opening for us. And I remember just thinking, like, God, he's such a better friend. He's so much more exciting to watch than me. You know what I mean? Like, I feel fucking right. weird going on after him. Because he's so exciting. He just owns the crowd. And I just go up there and I play my songs. And I remember talking to him about it. And he was like, yeah, why don't you try like, putting your foot up on the monitor or something? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, give me like specific advice on like how to perform better. And I did it. And now to this day, like I use in-ear monitors. You're going to fucking laugh. I'm really, I'm really fucking le- opening the curtain here to, to anybody listening. But
2: okay. to this day,
0: <laughs> I use in-ears, you know, so I don't need monitors anymore. And I keep the wedges in front of me just to put my fucking foot up on them. It's like part, it's like I feel fucking so weird if I can't now.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, well, there's always those part guitar parts thing. that are harder too. You got to get the guitar up to, uh, <laughs> you know, well, yeah, Jack does all those. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I guess he does. Yeah. What a guy, what a guy, what a guitar player. Yeah. It's nice to be uh, it's nice
0: to be in a band with Jack. It makes my job easier.
1: That's funny. Yeah. You still have the wedges up there. Well, we, we just have the, we have boxes we just put up there. Right. Right. You know, so we have like, we don't have monitors cause we use in-ears too. But we have like we actually have our own boxes to stand on, the ego boosters, which right, is right. a funny is a really funny term ego ego booster ego riser because that's what you're trying to do lose that true. confidence yeah
0: yeah it's a weird thing so you know so that so that kind of that's where going back that's where vacancy came from the writing right. of it and the meaning behind it and all that the songs um, making the record was crazy like making the record. We made it in Nashville because um, I have my daughter here. Um, yeah, Jack and, lives there too, right? And Jack lives here too. And he, Jack, when we were making the record, Jack had just had his baby. His baby was like two months old, two three okay. months old. Like, wow. wow, just had the baby, and we knew while we were planning the record that we had to that we had so that that was going to happen. He hadn't had the baby yet. And We were like, yeah, but by the time we go in the studio, like he's going to have a newborn at home. We like. So between, you know, my situation with my daughter, and like I said, I don't have a lot of friends here. I don't have any family here. I don't really have any help with her. So my weeks with her, like, I, I worship those weeks, you know, like. Of course. So I was, um, so we were saying, like, we have to make the record in Nashville because Jack and I can't leave. So the, uh, so the guys came down to Nashville. It was really fucking hard. It took us a while to find a producer. It took us a long time to find a producer. We met. With a couple of different guys and got all the way through the point of going over songs, going wow. through notes, all that. And it kind of was, they were all kind of falling apart for one reason or another, whether it was money or they didn't want to come to Nashville. They didn't want to spend, because, you know, none of the guys that we were talking to were from here. So oh, okay. a lot of guys that were like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go live in, like, I'm 55 years old. I'm not going to go, like, live in a hotel in Nashville for five weeks, you know? Sure. So, um, so we, we, we started talking to Tim O'Hare who had done, uh, yeah, say lots of cool and, shit. yeah. so much yeah. cool stuff. Uh, Sebado, say anything, all American rejects. Oh yeah. I mean, all uh, American rejects <clears> too. Right. Yeah. So he likes so much cool shit, but from, he did like really cool indie shit. He did really cool punk shit. And then he did really cool, like pop shit, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, cool. Like this guy kind of, and you know, <clears throat> yeah, he gets it. And Bayside's music's kind of all over the place. So it was like, yeah, like somebody who kind of gets a lot of different styles would be would be great. And Tim, Tim, just he was actually just nominated for a Tony for uh, he did the sound design for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, wow. Um, So we're like, yeah, dude, he fucking knows and Bayside. And like, we've been saying this for a while. It's like nobody really realizes it but Bayside is show tunes. Bayside is like punk rock show tunes.
2: <laughs> you know yeah, like all the I win- totally know man. Oh, I know
0: dude all like the weird the like weird inverted chords and stuff. Yeah. yeah. All the inverted, yeah. inverted chords the 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 time signature changes, the key changes, all the drama in our music like that's that is all straight out of show tunes. Like we I write show tunes and then we speed them up. <laughs> you know like that it's funny and nobody really realizes that. And I was like, dude, a fucking guy who does punk rock records, who knows show tunes, like so, like he's going to get it. Um and he did. And he totally got it. And it was a cool and it was a, it was a cool process. His his process was super stressful for us though. Oh, the way um, he works? Just the way he works was very stressful and we were all at each other's throats through the whole record, which is that's the recipe for the best for the best records. Um, yeah, sometimes, yeah. And Dude, like we went, and we we so we moved into the studio, and we got totally duped on this one studio. The fucking train was about fifty The uh, a freight train was about fifteen <laughs> feet from the front door, <laughs> and it was coming by like every fifteen minutes, blowing would the build, fucking who horn. Who a studio there, dude? That's not even the worst of it. It was attached to a factory. It shared a wall with a factory. The live room shared a wall with a factory. So. When you went into the live room, the machinery from the next room was so loud that the live room was unusable. You couldn't use the live room because ridiculous. of the bleed from the fucking machines. It's ridiculous. And the vocal booth was getting bleed from the fucking trains. The train horn was coming through the fucking the vocal mic. It was fucked. It was so fucked. So you're literally
1: like, in the middle of a of a session, and the train comes by, and you have to stop and wait for the train.
0: Well, we di- we didn't get that far because okay. we. So we we started doing the drums. We did the drums in about a ten by ten ISO booth because we couldn't use the live room. So the drums oh got recorded God, yeah. in like a fucking ISO booth, right? And we like it, it was a fucking nightmare. There was a one. There was one bathroom that was shared by. For the studio and the fucking factory, so there was always somebody in the bathroom. You had to walk through the factory. You had to walk to the back of the factory to fucking, insane. This is insane. Yeah, to use the bathroom. So we were just like peeing outside. We were just going out and fucking peeing on the on the train tracks. So, so it was just it was fucking cra- it was so crazy. And then so we did the drums. You couldn't really hear anything because the, the control room was like enormous. It was the size of a live room, and all wood and treated like a live room. It was like, "Dude, you can't all the sound is bouncing all over the place. You can't really hone in on anything when you're sure. hearing playback. Like we, we' recording the drums in this 10-x10 10 10 room, you're worried that you're not going to get enough room sound, right? So course, we're listening yeah. back. so we're listening back, and you hear all this room sound, but we're like, "Is that coming through the takes, or is that the playback bouncing around the room Fuck. we're listening to it in? Yeah, bizarre. So we bizarre. started doing guitars because we always do guitars before bass. We always do drums, guitars, bass.
1: We we always do guitars first too.
0: Yeah, it's good for tuning. Yep. So <clears throat> we were doing. So we so we start doing guitars, and then there's like latency on the guitars. And we're like, all right, that like we we'll we're like, out of here. That we can't. We can't get through that. You know what no. I mean? So that's we, weird. So if this was at it like was nine late. o'clock at night or something like that, and we called everybody we knew, and we're just like, we need to be in a new studio tomorrow. All the while, we have this deadline, hard deadline to finish the record because we're already booking the tour that's going to be around the release of the record. And we're yeah. only a week into recording it at this point. So we're like, we have to fucking finish this record on time. So we, so we call everybody we know in Nashville. We're saying we need to be in a new studio tomorrow. like, And we need it for like four weeks. Who can get us in tomorrow? So we get a call. A good friend of ours is – he's like an auxiliary musician for Kings of Leon. Okay. And uh, he like is their touring kind of guitar player and keys and that stuff. And he – you might know. You know Ethan Luck? I'm sorry? sorry? Do you know Ethan Luck? You might know. He was in Relying K. No, I don't know. I don't think I know him, no. Well, so Ethan calls and he says uh, Kings of Leon has this – like basically a compound.
1: Okay. And –
0: Th- we, and there's a giant, it's basically like their own personal SIR. It's a huge soundstage that's like wow. just for them. And they have a fucking badass studio in there that they, re- that they record like their demos. They actually did their last record in, in their compound. Like it's all this stuff. I could go on and on about how crazy nice. this place was. He says they're in LA recording their record. It's empty for a while. Like they said, you guys could have it. And we kind of worked out like a figure, you know, a, a budget yep. that worked. And so we recorded it at like kings of leon's like private kind of demo studio that's, that's where right. we finished that's, the record
1: that's so yeah and you don't know those guys at all
0: no and it was super weird they had all this gear there and and like we were so worried because there was cameras and shit and we we're all like fuck i like don't touch anything we're not allowed to touch don't fucking like if you sneeze cover your fucking mouth we're just like kind of like so scared <laughs> do, they, do they have like did they have like old amps and stuff but you weren't allowed to use them um they took a lot of the amps. they had a shitload of guitars and we weren't allowed to use them but they yeah. they had taken all the they had shipped all the amps to la for the recording oh uh, yeah um yeah. so yeah so that, so we finished the record there and we were just kind of like up against it like by the end of the session we were calling we called a from saves the day to come in and we called steve from punchline to come in and, and engineer like side sessions wow. we set up a second computer in another room Cause I mean, it's just like they're they're kind of project studio, you know. So there wasn't like a B room or anything. So we kind of right. created our own B room and had like Arun and Steve coming in to like record background vocals with me while Tim was in the main room, like doing Jack's guitars. Wow, like, so really,
1: real time crunch.
0: Yeah, it was just the whole the whole process was crazy, and there was still a train that would come by that studio too. <laughs> so wow. it, it was cr- the whole process of making the record was nuts man and we left the studio without ruffs and we have the label breathing down our back of what song do you want to be the b-side what's the sequencing gonna be we need to get the artwork together for the vinyl all the shit like i haven't yeah, even yeah. heard the fucking record i haven't even heard the fucking record I, I like i can't tell you what the sequencing is it's crazy yeah
1: so it, well, it, who picked it was a did, crazy did you end process up,
0: you didn't even pick the sequencing we picked the sequencing. on The deadline after you is, heard all is the mixes? today. Today was the deadline to get the to get the vinyl in to get like the master to the vinyl, right? And uh, the artwork to them and all that. And um, the record got mastered on Wednesday, and that was the. Fr- and we picked the sequencing on Tuesday night. We made That's a sequencing. Crazy. Wednesday got mastered. Uh, and then that's when the artwork was able to get finished on Wednesday, because that's when we had the sequencing and then uh and then today it went out to press Wow, yeah, well, I think
1: it's almost a good problem if you're not sure about the sequencing uh and you're kind of good with like whatever sort of works it's, in a way that can be good because that means all the songs are pretty good
0: yeah, it is you good it's, we're actually having a really hard time, and you know this i mean I don't know. Maybe just because none of them are sort of standing out in the in the single sense, or maybe just because they're all great, but we're having a really hard time even picking what the single's going to be, picking what the first song release is going to be. Yeah. We, we announced the record on Tuesday um, with pre-orders and all that, and everybody's like you're, se- you're you're selling the pre-orders and you don't you haven't like released a song yet. We're like, it doesn't exist yet. This is the day before mastering. <laughs> <laughs> we announced the record the day before the record got mastered. We we're like, it doesn't even exist yet. We couldn't have released a single if we wanted to right now.
1: That's funny. E- even That's if we knew which funny. song it was
0: going to be. And now I think we're going to release a song like in the next couple of weeks. Good, good. And uh, we still don't even know what song it's going to be yet. It's a, this is a, it's a crazy process. But that we're just crazy. like, this is all too fucking weird for this not to be good.
1: I think that's I think there's something to that. We're, weirdly enough, I think that's a real thing, man. No, that's uh that's rad. Can't wait to hear it. Vacancy August nineteenth. Uh, when we go on tour two weeks before that, what are you doing in the meantime?
0: Um, man, not much to be honest with you. I don't know. I kind of started writing a uh, like uh, I started writing a book like last oh, year. Yeah? And I didn't get, I, you know, it was just something I kind of did for, for fun, really. I just, you know, just kind of started throwing a few things down. And I didn't know that I'd ever, like, get back to it or whatever. It was just kind of like. Is it a novel? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a fictional, like a fictional novel. Yeah. And, um, I, I, you know, and it's, it's nothing right now. It's a few pages right now. But over the last few days, I have four months off. I mean, like, now right. that the record's done, I have four months until the tour starts. And I don't really have anything to do. In those four months. So I was kind of thinking like, I need a project. I got to work on something. Like maybe I could start writing the next solo record while I'm sitting around. Maybe I can, or maybe I'll get back to this book. Or like I got to do, I got to be productive somehow for the next sure. four months. I can't fucking watch TV and like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got to do something.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's cool. No, um, so I'm about well, now that ad. you've now that you've told everybody about the book on this podcast, you got to do it. So now you're committed. <laughs> yeah, right. Everyone's the, gonna the people are gonna come up to you at show at a show and be like, "I heard on Shane's podcast that you're doing a book. When's it coming?" Right, exactly. And you'll that's be like, "Oh be... yeah,
0: yeah, that's so not happening." And that's gonna be the news the news item that gets picked up everywhere. Nobody's gonna pay attention to the next single. It's just gonna be like, hey, "He's writing a book. He's writing a book." Just like the worst like your worst press photo is the one that is gonna be everywhere
1: <laughs> of course of course of course that's very funny man well hey we're um this is probably the longest one I've done um why don't I let you go but we'll do an, we'll do a part two maybe once the record's out yeah uh, sure. and maybe you, you know are, we'll see we'll see where you're at with uh with your life man but thanks for thanks for do- taking the time and uh, you know and, and pouring your heart out to this man and I, I really hope uh, everything goes awesome with the new record and everything, you know, you got going on in your life.
0: Yeah. Same to you, man. I hope everything, Thank you. I hope you, I hope you get it all figured out. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. So, thank you. Yeah, well, it was great. It was great catching up. I, I miss you. Yeah, but we See didn't even talk
1: about your solo stuff. I miss you too, man. We didn't talk about all the solo stuff you're doing, or like so much we didn't talk about. We didn't even talk about victory, and I that know. was what I want, and that's what I wanted <laughs> to talk about because I had um I had Tommy from between the Barrett and me. I talked to him yesterday, actually. Oh yeah. And so he's going to be. Pro- I think you're probably going to roll this one out first, or then him. I'm not sure which one, but yeah, we were talking about victory and stuff, and I was like, man, this is like a little bit of a victory, old victory days story time and i'm sure you got some some tony stories so we'll save it for next time yeah
0: yeah for sure i would i would love to do it again i'm glad we finally got to connect
1: absolutely anthony thank you man all right
0: buddy i'll talk to you soon. all right yeah you have a great
1: day you too Bye. all right yeah see ya Hey, you guys still there? <laughs> it was a long one. But wow, we, we covered so much ground and we didn't even get to everything. So I'm sure once vacancy comes out, uh we'll try to do it sooner than later. We'll have Anthony back, we'll tell some old victory stories and uh and, and we'll just check in and see see how he's doing and you know, see how I'm doing as well. As always, I'm going to leave you with some tunes. Um, if you like the show, please go on iTunes, write a review, preferably five stars. It really helps us out. It really helps us just get this podcast in front of more people, you know, keep it growing. We'll get better and better guests. Um, so I'm going to pick. As if this isn't long enough already I'm actually going to play two songs I'm going to play my personal favorite Bayside song Which is called Just Enough To Love You From their first album It's a bit of a deep cut But what a song And then I'm going to leave you with Actually a Silverstein song uh, Called Texas Mickey Which Anthony We brought Anthony in and he sang on And he did an amazing job on it So I want you to hear both those songs So I'll leave you with those two tunes And uh, hey, thanks a lot We'll see you next Monday All the best Peace and love
2: Push me out from the darkness
0: To a sky that's colored blue Somewhere someone finds a happiness While I'm still here so hung up on you
2: Nothing is real